Hi, everybody. I hope you'll be able to understand me between um, an American accent and a bad head cold. But um, I'm very, very glad to be here. Um, I want to thank you all for being here as well. It's always more fun when there's somebody to talk to. Even if it's one, it's just fun to talk to somebody about Jesus. Um, what I, oh, thank you very much. What, what I, what I want to do in this session, and sort of my plan, and we'll see what God's plan is, because he always wins. Um, my plan is, is what I want to do in this session is I want to delve in a little bit and talk a little bit prophetically about what's going on in the Spirit to hopefully help you understand a little bit of why you've been experiencing what you've been experiencing and to encourage you that it really is unto something and we're going someplace and it really is good. Sorry, I was all of a sudden like being interrogated by the light. (laughs) I realize there's no light there. So um, everything kind of feels like it's packed in... um, um, camp for uh, 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 cotton balls. You know what that, when you have a really bad head cold, it's, I kind of feel like a cat playing with a ball of string. Everything feels a little far away and slowed down, so, but God's, God's bigger than my head cold, and he's going to get us through this, amen? amen. Okay, so what I want to do is I want to talk about what's been going on in the spirit, and I want to just ask an open, honest, vulnerable question. And um, um, no one's going no to look at you because I'm so handsome. Everyone's going to be looking at me. Um, I, wanna, I just want to ask for those, if there's anybody here who's felt frustrated or discouraged or disappointed in the last six months to two years. Anybody's been wrestling with that? I know I was. I want to explain to you why. So it lifts some of, hopefully, any burden of guilt, condemnation, or shame off of you. And you'll understand what we've been going through. And where we are right now is we're actually in the spirit. We're in the midst of an amazing transition. A very, very exciting time. And it's a transition from a Moses season to a Joshua season. Or I like to say it this way, from a Moses season to a Joshua opportunity. And now we know what a Moses season is. In Moses' season, God brings us out of something. And in those seasons, he raises up men and women of God that he can use as examples to remind us of who our God is, what he's like, and what is available with him, and what we're capable of when we walk with him. And obviously, we see this brilliantly in the book of Exodus, where God raises up Moses, who comes up and meets with God up on the mountaintop, gets the word of the Lord, and brings it back to the Israelites. Now, why? Is it because God was an elitist who said, you I'll meet with. The rest of those guys, I don't know. No. What we see is when Moses would go up the mountaintop, the Israelites would hang back outside the flap of their tents and say, oh, there goes Moses. All right, I'm not going near that mountain. It's scary. All that thunder, all that lightning, I don't I heard if I even touch it, I'll be killed. I don't quite get that. I don't know how to approach my God. Moses is going to do it for me. He's going to bring the word back, and that's just fine by me. So I'm going to stand back here by the flap of my tent and let him meet with God. So Moses would go up, get the word of the Lord, bring it back to the people, and then say, this is who our God is. This is what he's saying for the season. Will you embrace it? So that's what Moses' seasons looks like. And we've been in a Moses' season in the body of Christ, especially in the charismatic church, for over a century now where God has been raising up men and women 
that he's using powerfully and profoundly to remind us of what he's like and what is capable with him. And you can pick any of your great heroes of the faith. I look back over just the last 100 to 120 years of the church, and I see people like William Branham, Smith Wigglesworth, uh, William Seymour, Catherine Coleman, Mariah Woodworth Edder, um, um, John G. Lake, Benny Hinn, or recently people like uh, Patricia King or Bill Johnson, or pick your hero with a faith. They have been raised up, not so we look at them as they work miracles, miracles, signs, and wonders, as they prophesy, as they bring the word of the Lord, as they, as they, they move in the miraculous realm of our God, as they share testimonies of angelic revelation. They're not, it's not so that we'll look at them and go, whoa, look at what God is like with them. Man, I wish he could be like that with me. Oh, well. It's so we look at them and say, wow, look at what God is like with them. I'm so excited that their God is my God, and that's available for me too. And just because I'm not seeing it yet doesn't mean it's not for me. They're sent as a Moses to remind me of who my God is and what's capable, what's available with him to stir my hunger, to press in, to grab hold of what they're walking in, not because they got it and I don't, but because we all got it through the finished work of the cross, and I'm hungry to walk in the fullness that they're experiencing. Amen? And we see this with young Joshua as a servant of Moses. Moses would go into the tent of meeting, go up to the mountaintop to meet with God. God would give him the word, and he'd do what he was supposed to do. He'd go back and share it with the Israelites, model relationship with God to the Israelites. But Joshua, the little servant boy, or young man, he would just hang out in the tent, we're told. He would linger in the presence of God. And what this guy discovered was the same God for Moses was the same God for Joshua. And it all came out of intimacy and relationship until one day God comes to Joshua in the first book of Joshua and he says, my servant Moses is dead. He's saying, here's the scoop. The Moses season is over. That doesn't mean Moses has failed. That doesn't mean it was a bad season. It just means there's a transition. My my servant Moses is dead. My servant, the man that I raised up to, to perform a task for me, has completed that task. The season is over, and now we're entering into a Joshua season. And he says this amazing thing to him, which is why we know we're entering into a Joshua season. He says, and I will be with you just as I was with Moses which is an amazing thing to think about. It would be incredible if God had said to Joshua, and, and, and even as Pete was saying, and God is so intentional. So there's so much intentionality and so much revelation in his intentionality throughout Scripture. God, It would have been incredible if God had said to Joshua, Joshua, my servant Moses is dead, but now you can be with me as Moses was with me. That would be incredible, right? but he said something even more incredible. He said, I will be with you as I was with Moses. In other words, son, here's the deal. I raised up Moses as an example to remind my people of what it looks like to walk with me. When I told Moses in Exodus 33, 14, I will be with you personally. I will give you rest and all will be well for you. I want to be with you 
the way I was with Moses. I don't want you to be with me the way Moses was with me because you're not Moses. Moses was an example of what is available with me. Moses was not the diagram of how you need to be to be with me. Moses was the example of what it looks like when I walk with my people who are available to me. That's an amazing promise. Much greater than you can be with me as Moses was. He's saying, I want you to be you. And I'm going to be with you the way I created you as my son to know me and express me into the earth. And I don't want you to copy Moses. I want you to be inspired and stirred by what we had together and believe for it for yourself. Because if you will, things are going to get really, really cool. Do you see it? So when we shift from a Moses season into a Joshua opportunity, we're going, in Moses seasons, we're being brought out of something. In Joshua seasons, we're being brought into something, right? In a Moses season, they were brought out of bondage in, in, uh, in Egypt. In the Joshua season, they were brought in. The plan was, let's bring them in to the promised land. But as we all know, an entire generation of Israelites died out in the wilderness, And we'll talk a little bit about why that happens throughout today too. But that's not to be afraid. They did not die out out in the wilderness because God was mad at them and he kept them from the promised land. That generation died out out in the wilderness because they never came to understand what a wilderness season is all about. Wilderness seasons are transition times. We come out of a Moses season and are brought in the Moses season. We're brought out into the wilderness. We're brought out of something into the wilderness. And in the wilderness is our opportunity to embrace the Joshua season to come in to the fullness of all that God has been talking to us about. But we have to embrace the wilderness season. We have to appreciate the wilderness season. We have to value the wilderness season. And the only way to do that is if we understand what wilderness seasons are about. They're not about God abandoning us. They're not about God not showing up for us. They're not about God not caring about us. They're about giving us, God giving us opportunities for things in us that have gotten in our own way in the past to rise up so we can look at them and say, this doesn't look like the character and nature of God. I don't want this anymore. Wilderness seasons are all about when mindsets and behavior patterns that have limited us in the past come up in us so we can be aware of it and cry out to God and say, Lord, I'm giving this to you because it's not serving me anymore. I'm giving it to you. I want you instead. And what happened to a generation of Israelites is they weren't able to do that. A generation of Israelites were brought out into the desert, into the wilderness season, so that God could not only set them free from the bondage of Egypt, but set them free from the bondage of the slave mentality that got into them in Egypt. When they were slaves in Egypt, the Pharaoh was good to them, like, hey, good day. Pharaoh's good today. Good Pharaoh. He's giving us leeks and onions. This is awesome. And then when Pharaoh wasn't good to them, when Pharaoh didn't do what they wanted, how they wanted, oh, man, he's doubling our burdens. He's increasing our burdens. Bad Pharaoh. Pharaoh is bad. That's a slave mentality or I'll put it in modern terms, a victim mentality. And victim mentalities always trip us up. Because victim mentalities trap us in self-pity, offense, and powerful justification and rationalization to stay in those places. Romans 8, Romans 8 talks about how the flesh is at enmity with God. 
And then if we're led by the flesh, we're led unto death. That's what God tries to set us free from. Because you're going to hear me say this over and over and over again, but I'm never going to be able to say it enough. We are never contending for things we don't have. We are always contending for the full manifestation of what has already been given to us through the finished work of the cross. One of my passions is to help the church understand that we don't need to cry out to God for revival anymore. We need to step into the revival that was sent to us through the finished work of the cross. Now, cry out for revival? Yeah, because what that really means is, God, we're hungry. It's like, I think one of the silliest prayers we can pray is, oh, God, we want more. Because he's given us everything. Everything pertaining to life and godliness has been, not will be, given unto us through the finished work of the cross. Every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, that means all of heaven, has been given to us through Christ Jesus. It is ours right now. Yeah, but Brother Robert, we're not seeing it. I know I'm not seeing the fullness either. But you know, that's why God's allowed us into this transition season. So things will come up in us that have been limiting us and getting in our way of us seeing the fullness of what we already have. And I know that's not a really popular message. I know the popular message is, oh, just cry out to God and he's going to do it. But here's the truth. God fulfilled every one of his sovereign promises through the cross at Calvary. Now, God is still sovereign. He can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. He's God, he's large, he's in charge, period. (laughs) But he's already given us everything through the finished work of the cross, The church is kind of like Moses in Exodus 14 saying, God, you brought us out, and now we're in front of the the Red Sea, and everything was great. We were celebrating you, we were partying with you, we were worshiping with you, and then we turned around, and did you notice Pharaoh and his army are pressing down on us? Do something! And God sends the fire, right, to keep Pharaoh and his army at bay. And Moses is crying out, God, yeah, you put the fire back there to keep them at bay, but there's still all this water in front of us. Do something. And God says, son, what are you doing talking to me about this? You do something. Now, if you don't know the character and nature of God, if you don't know the heart of the Father, you'll read that as, why are you bothering me? I just opened up the newspaper. I just got a little sit down. I just got a little quiet from all those angels. And now you're bugging me with this. Can I not get a minute to myself? You do it. That's not our father. He's saying, hey, what are you so upset about? What's all the ruckus? You do it. Remember when we met in the desert at the burning bush? Remember when I called you and I commissioned you? Remember when I empowered you? Remember when I gave you the fancy trick stick that did all the cool stuff? That's to remind you that I'm with you. That's to remind you that that my presence goes with you everywhere you go and that you have everything you need. Now, son, I'm not going to do this right now. Not because I don't love you and I'm not with you, but because I want to raise you up in the fullness of all that I have given you so you realize that with me you always have everything you need. Hey, how about you stretch forth your hand and you command those waters to part? And he does. And you think, yeah, but 
How many of you have children? Okay. Um, how many of you um, tied their shoes for them when they were little? It's kind of cute, isn't it? It's kind of fun. They need you. They come to you. It feels good to be needed. You tie their shoes. You get to talk to them and visit a little bit while you're tying their shoes. It's cute. It's fun. It's a neat stage. Not so cute, not so fun when they're 40. Mommy, I have to go to the office. I have a case in court today. Tie my shoes. Oh, button me up, Mommy. I have surgery today. I've got to get into the operating theater, tie my shoes. Not so cute. I mean, we do it, but at the same time, is that what we want? Do we want to cut their sandwiches for them when they're 35? Do we want to wipe their bums when they come off the toilet when they're 22? No, that's actually a little creepy. Can you imagine... A 26-year-old coming, you know, Mom, come to the bathroom. I finished, and I need you to wipe my bum. Um, Whose kid are you? Now, those are really silly examples. But in the spirit, God is saying to us in this season, he spoke to me about a year and a half, two years ago. Time blurs after a while. He said, son, I want you to tell my church something. It's time for them to grow up. And it wasn't, you tell my church, it's time for them to grow up. It was the most loving, encouraging, empowering, and sweet tone. Tell them it's time to grow up. And I'll be right here to help them. Because you know why? Romans 8 makes it clear. There is a world that is crying out, that is groaning for the mature sons of God to arise doesn't say for the sons of God to arise. It says for the mature sons, those who know who they are and what they have in God and are willing to stretch forth their hands, open their mouths, believe in the finished work of the cross again and again and again until we see the full manifestation of what we've always had all along. And ladies, please don't be offended. When I say mature sons, that doesn't exclude you. It includes you. There is no male or female in Christ Jesus. And if I can be a bride, you can be a son. God does not say, I am coming back for my bride and my groom without spot or blemish. He says, my bride. So does that mean it's not us guys? Nope. No male or female in Christ Jesus. We get to be brides. And if, fellas, you haven't, you haven't learned how to be a bride, I highly recommend it. It's awesome. Years ago. I went to the Lord, and I was like, God, I've got a really great revelation of you as Father, Savior, King, Lion of the tribe of Judah, friend, counselor, all these things. But this whole bride, bridegroom thing kind of freaks me out. I mean, you're a dude, I'm a dude. That's weird. And I just was honest with him. I said, I don't don't know how to do that. I don't know how to relate to that. That's just kind of weird. And he spoke to me, he said, well, don't worry about bride, bridegroom, let's just make it about relationship. And for a couple of years, he really tutored me in relationship and intimacy until I got it to such a point, it was like, the light went off. It's like, oh my gosh, I'm the bride of Christ. I'm the prettiest girl in school. <laughs> I'm his favorite. He just likes me, man, this is awesome. <laughs> and then it was like, you want to be my bride? I'm like, do I? I love being the bride of Christ. I love intimacy and relationship with my bridegroom. I love it. And women and men, we need to learn to be sons. 
We need to come to understand sonship and in that allow God to mature us so that when we see things going on in the earth, because the earth does belong to his, all the earth and all the heavens belongs to him. But you know what? From day six, when he created us, his plan was for us to have dominion in the earth. And I don't have time to unpack the whole dominion message right now, but when you study it out in the Old Testament and then even with the disciples in the New Testament, he echoes that over and over and over again. He does it with um, Adam. He does it with Noah. He does it with Jacob when he makes him Israel. Each time he starts again, he re-echoes, here's the plan, an intimate relationship with me. Knowing who I am and knowing who you are, I want you to walk in dominion authority in the earth. And he does the exact same thing with the disciples when they say to him, hey, teach us to have impact like you do. Teach us to pray like you do. He says, pray like this. My Father who is in heaven, everything starts out of the revelation of restored relationships. So you declare that in every moment, in every situation you face. You declare, my Father is in heaven. I am his Son. Holy be his name. Everything about him is true. Everything he says about him is true. Everything he says about me is true. Now your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You step into that dominion authority when you know you have relationship. That's what he was tutoring Moses in. That's what he's tutoring us in right now in the wilderness season. He's getting that slave, that victim mentality out of us. How do I know? Because he's been tutoring me in it for years. It's very humbling, but it's incredibly empowering. It's really cool when you start to mature as a son. I've just started. I've got a long way to go, but man, I'm loving it because you start to see so much more authority in your life. And you know where it starts, and we'll talk about this a lot today. It starts right here and right here. This is the earth that you first take dominion over. You start to pay attention to the thoughts you're thinking. You start to pay attention to the emotions that you're having. And you start to say, hey, does this line up with the character and nature of who I am in Christ? Is this what he says about me? Or is this what my old fallen carnal nature is saying about me? And am I, what am I going to come into agreement with? Oh, that's all right. No, actually, it's a great reminder. Thank you for that. If you guys have phones... It's a great reminder right now. Turn them to vibrate and double check. Make sure. Because I've been in meetings where I thought, oh, I know I turned it to vibrate. And the next thing I know, I'm getting a phone call and going, I wish I'd turned it to vibrate. So turn them off or turn them to vibrate. So thank you very much. That was a great reminder. So that was quite a bunny trail. But it's an important bunny trail because it's part of where we are. So God brought the Israelites out into the wilderness to set them free from this victim mentality. And we see very clear evidence of that when he shares with us through the author of Hebrews in Hebrews 3 and 4. And in Hebrews 3, he makes this incredible statement about they did not enter my rest because they did not believe. And I asked the Lord once, I said, what didn't they believe? Did they not believe you were God? And immediately he said, no, they didn't believe I was good. They believed he was God. They knew he was God. They knew he was the deliverer who brought them out. What they never discovered, what he was the God that they could count on in all situations at all times and learn to rest in that and find peace in that. They thought of him a lot like Pharaoh on days when he did things when they wanted, how they wanted, the way they thought made sense. They were like, wow, God is good. This is awesome. And on days he didn't do what they wanted, when they wanted, the way they thought it should 
they'd say, why have you brought us out here to die? We were better off in Egypt with leeks and onions. And he wanted them to learn to rest in him, no matter what, that he was good, that he was trustworthy, and that, that we could rely on him and count on him no matter what. That is how we enter into his rest. Not just by knowing that he's God, but knowing that he's good. And what that looks like is when things aren't going the way we want, when we want, or looking the way we think they should, we choose to believe he's good anyways. We praise him anyways. We choose to rest in him anyways. When frustration, fear, doubt come up, and they do and they will, we take dominion authority over them in this earthen vessel, in this earthen vessel, and we say no to them and say no. By faith, I am choosing peace. I am stretching forth my hand right now. And that overwhelming presence of the abundance of fear in front of me and frustration and doubt in front of me right now, I am saying, get out of my way. Part to the right, part to the left. I'm coming through. So we've been in a Moses season for years, for decades. We've had one great example after another of who our God is and what's available with him. And it's stirring our hunger. And so in our hunger that's been stirred, we've cried out, oh God, more. We want more. Anybody prayed that? Anybody cried it out in worship? Groaned it out in intercession? Oh God, if this is all there is, just bring me home. I must have more. I know there's more. I want more. Amen? I cried out all the time. Ridiculous prayer. But a glorious, wonderful, incredible prayer. Because the truth is, we can't have more. He's given us everything through the finished work of the cross. But the bigger truth is, because God's not, God's theology is perfect. But he always knows it's about the heart. And God doesn't hear that prayer and say, hey, theologically, that prayer is a little off. And I need to address that with you. No, what God hears is a heart that says, Lord, I want everything that you've given me. I want everything that I'm not seeing, but way down deep, I believe it is. Because what that cry is truly is, Lord, I want to see more of what I know is already mine. I want to see the full manifestation of what's mine that I haven't seen yet, but way down deep, I know I have it, which is why I'm crying out so passionately. And he loves that. So really what that prayer is, it's like, God... I want less of me so I can see more of what you've given me. God, help me get out of the way. That's what that prayer is. And he loves that prayer and he takes that prayer seriously. So he brings us into wilderness season. So everything that has been getting in our way, everything that has limited us through victim mentality, everything that would cause us to die out in the wilderness instead of come into the promised land, he will take care of. He will let come up so we can look at it and choose in our free will, which he loves us so much, he'll never violate to say, Lord, I don't want, to do, I don't, I don't want this anymore. Help me. I need your grace. I need your mercy. I need your help. And you know what he says? Okay. Awesome. Thanks so much. Can't wait. Been waiting for it. Right here for you. He loves us. Now, here's the really beautiful thing. If you haven't done that, or if you realize you've been wrestling with that, and you've been crying out for the leeks and onions, you know what God's word to you is? I love you. I love you. Exactly as you are, exactly where you are, I love you. 
I never haven't loved you. I never won't love you. I am not doing this because you have to jump through a hoop for me. I'm doing this because I know the cry of your heart. And if you want to enter into the promised land, I will help you come into the fullness of what I already gave you through the finished work of the cross. And if you wrestle and you can't, here's my word for you. I love you and I will take care of you and I will provide for you. Because what we sometimes forget about that generation of Israelites that died out in the desert, you know what happened to them? Every day they were provided for. Every day they were cared for. Every day they were loved. Every day they had supernatural provision. Every single day. You know why? Because God loved them. Not a one of them was a failure to God. Not a one of them was, oh man, all I did for you and you didn't enter in? No. He loves us no matter what. You take, you take hold of the Joshua opportunity, you know what? God loves you. You don't take hold of the Joshua opportunity, you know what? God loves you. He's not presenting the opportunity because you have to jump through the hoop to to, to prove that you're worth his time, his effort, and his attention. He's presenting the Joshua opportunity because he loves us and he has heard the cry of our heart for generations of, oh, God, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He has handpicked each of you to be alive in this place at this time for this coming move of God that we have already started to come into. We just don't happen to like transition times very much. But they're incredibly important. And we see them all through Scripture. And if we learn to praise God and love God in the midst of them, then we can actually get really excited about them. So we're in this incredible shift, this incredible transition season right now from the Moses season to the Joshua season because God is answering our prayers. The challenge is the devil has been working overtime to convince us that God isn't answering our prayers, that he's abandoned us, that he doesn't care about us. And all those dreams, all those hopes, all those things we believed for so passionately and prayed for so diligently that haven't come forth according to when we thought they should, how they should, well, that's a little frustrating, isn't it? I've been frustrated. I've been disappointed. I've been discouraged. But praise God, I've also spent time with the Lord and he reminds me that his ways are higher than my ways and then I remember I'm really glad he doesn't do things my way. His ways are always better. Quick example, think of Moses. When Moses, what we've been talking about, gets the word of the Lord, I'm going to use you to deliver the Israelites. Go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And he's already seen incredible miracles. He's seen the burning bush. He's seen the, 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 the staff in his hand turn into the snake. He's seen the, the miracle with the, the leprosy. He's seen the, the water turn to blood. He has met with God. He's been empowered by God, commissioned by God, called by God. And then he, the most incredible miracle that he sees in, in, is when God says, go to the Israelites. Israelites, go to my people, go to the church, and give them the word. And he does, and they believe it. And they're all unified. As he goes to Pharaoh, they're standing behind him saying, we believe in you, we believe in the word of the Lord. Go, Mo, go, go, Mo, go, go, Mo, go. This is awesome. So he's seen amazing things, including unity in the church, which if you've been a Christian for a while, you know that's an amazing thing. And it's a good thing, and it's one of the things on God's heart right now, and it's one of the things he's given us grace for right now because unity is a massive key for the, 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 the season that we're in to come into the fullness that he has for us. So Moses goes to Pharaoh, and in his, 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 his best Cecil B. DeMille, Charlton Heston voice, he says, let my people go. He's all confident. He's got God with him. He's got Israel behind him. He's got the stick. And he stands in front of Pharaoh and says, Thus saith the Lord, let my people go. And Pharaoh kind of looks at him like, What part of you doesn't understand a slave economy? No. 
I'm not letting them go. As a matter of fact, they obviously have way too much time on their hands to be dreaming up schemes like this. I'm going to increase their burdens. And Moses is genuinely confused. This is not how he thought it was going to go. He had the word of the Lord. He had the commissioning of God. He was empowered by God. He was sent by God. Israel was behind him. He said it really good, and he's usually a stutterer. This was going to be awesome. So we see this amazing conversation between Moses at the end of Exodus 5 and the beginning of Exodus 6 where he pours his heart out and says, God, it didn't go like I thought it was going to go. Why did you send me? Why did you lie to me? This is crazy. We're worse off than before I ever went. I should have never gone. What is going on? I don't understand. I did what you told me to do. Why didn't you do what you said you were going to do? Anybody been there? I have. And God starts to answer him, the beginning of Exodus 6, but what I love is it all boils down to this, which is ultimately the greatest answer where the greatest peace comes from. I am the Lord. So Moses has to make a massive decision. Am I going to trust? Am I going to believe? Am I going to be vulnerable? Am I going to go back? Because God says, go back again. And he goes back again and again and again and again. And you got to remember, Moses hadn't read the book yet. We know the story. Moses thought that first time he went, he was going to say, thus saith the Lord, let my people go. And Pharaoh would. And when Pharaoh didn't, it rocked him. It rocked his faith. And he pours his heart out to God and basically says, I don't get it and I don't like it. And the Lord's answer comes down to this. Moses, I am the Lord. So he chooses, okay, I'm going back. He didn't know it was going to be ten times. He thought it was going to be once. Second time, no. Third time, no. Fourth time, no. Fifth time, the frogs are going to do it, man. The frogs are the trick. This is going to be the one. No, 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 no. I don't remember if the frogs are number five, so if anybody wants to check, that's okay. But every time he's got to be thinking, this is it. No, 10 times. But what eventually happens is God brings about everything he said he would exactly as he said he would. He delivers the Israelites through Moses. And what we see is not only did the fullness of God's promise come about, but something even better that Moses didn't expect. When the Israelites do leave Egypt, they leave like a plundering army weighed down with the wealth of Israel. When we trust God in these transition seasons, we trust not only that he's God, but that he's good. When we trust that his ways are higher than our ways for a reason. When we trust that he is the Lord, when we don't understand what's going on or what's not going on and why, we not only will see the fullness of God's promises come forth, but we'll see even greater things that we have yet to ask, think, or even comprehend. Moses wanted it to be the first time, and who can blame him? But what he came to understand was the 10th time was perfect. Because not only did the promise come forth, but even greater things that he hadn't even asked, thought about, or imagined. And it's always that way with God. Moses had a 10-trip wilderness season. But it brought him into everything God had promised. Why? Because he had to let go of understanding. Years ago, years ago, I'm a reformed intellectual. 
I was sharing the other night. I'm a, I was a postmodern nihilistic deconstructionist. <laughs> and what that really means, being completely blunt, is I was a very wounded, hurt person, and I didn't have the gumption to believe in anything anymore. And if anybody did, it irritated me, so I tore it down. That's what a postmodern nihilistic deconstructionist basically is. I don't believe in anything, and you better not either. It's a mean intellectual bullyism. But I was a very, very hurt person. And I was, I was too proud to realize I was hurt. So I was an angry young man and an angry not-so-young man. But I was an intellectual, and I really liked understanding things because it made me feel like I had control. And I liked deconstructing things because it made me feel like I had control. God, in his incredible sovereignty and kindness, has set me free of intellectualism. Now, it hasn't made me stupid. It's not that I'm not supposed to use my brain. It's just I no longer, often he explains things to me so I understand them, but oftentimes he doesn't. And I've learned not to be worried if I understand or not. Years ago, I cried out to God and said, I don't understand! And he said, well, it's good that you weren't called to be an understander then. You were called to be a believer. I tell you what, God has made the kingdom simple for me. I love that the kingdom's simple. It's not always easy, but it is simple. It's like, I don't understand. That's okay. Do you believe? Oh, I do believe. That's the key in these transition seasons. Each and every one of you probably could tell me a story about where you've been disappointed, discouraged, hurt, or frustrated because you've done a really good job of standing in faith, believing, decreeing, declaring. You've done it all right, man. And why hasn't it come forth? Because God has a perfect way that's going to bring forth that promise and things you haven't even imagined. But I want it now. I'm supposed to have it now. The eternal realm is always available to us, isn't it? You just said we have everything pertaining to life and godliness. Every spiritual blessing is already mine. Why do I have to wait? I don't truly, fully understand. And I know you're not supposed to say that when you're up front with a microphone, but... All I know is this. Everything God does is good. Everything God allows is good. The same good God who gives the good promises is the same good God who allows the good process. We, just, we always see the promise as good. We don't often see the process as good. And I truly believe, to answer the question that I say I don't know the answer to, I truly believe the answer is because in God's goodness, he is doing something in us during the process that we're not fully aware of so that we can come in to more fully inhabiting, enjoying, and releasing into the earth the fullness of what we already have. And I don't say that lightly, especially if you've been discouraged or frustrated. I don't say it lightly. I say it with all the love in my heart because I've been through an eight-year battle of intense, intense battles contending for one promise in particular. And... I know what it's like to be discouraged. I know what it's like to be weary. I know what it's like to be scared. I know what it's like to be frustrated. And I know what it's like to have doubt assail you. But I want to tell you, God's way is always perfect, whether we understand it or not. Just like Moses, we're coming into the fullness of the promise. And we're coming into things we haven't even imagined yet. That's the excitement of where we are. If I can give you nothing else today... What I want to give you, what I want to, I'm believing is being imparted to you in the spirit is a reignition of faith so that you can be excited about where we are even though where we've been hasn't felt so great. Does that make sense? Okay, so now what I want to do is paint you a, be- a picture of what's going on in the spirit.
in this transition between a Moses and a Joshua season to give you a really good understanding. Where we are in the spirit prophetically right now is the end of Song of Solomon 2 and the beginning of Song of Solomon 3. And let me, let me share this with you. We all know Song of Solomon. It's this beautiful, beautiful, romantic um, um, song, poem, story about the beloved um, and, and the Shulamite woman, the lover and the Shulamite woman. Um, but it's also this incredible picture of the Lord and his church, the Lord and his bride. And so in, the, in Song of Solomon 3, this is what's going on starting in verse 10. My lover said to me, the lover said to me, rise up, my beloved, my fair one, and come away. For the winter is past and the rain is over and gone. The flowers are springing up and the time of singing birds has come, even the cooing of turtle doves. The fig trees are budding and the grapevines are in blossom. How delicious they smell. Yes, spring is here. Arise, my beloved, my fair one, and come away. So what's going on here? The lover is standing outside of the bedroom, the bridal chamber. He's outside the window by the lattice work. Say this is the bridal chamber and he's standing by the outside the window saying, baby, it's a new season. It's really exciting. Everything's new. Now arise and come away with me so I can woo you and lead you into everything that we've been dreaming about, right? So he's saying it is literally a new season. Arise and come away into the fullness of it. Not, it is a new season. Just stay where you are and you're going to enjoy it. No, we're in a transition. It's a new season. Now arise and come away so you can enjoy it all. And this is the response in the beginning of Song of Solomon 3. One night as I lay in bed, I yearned deeply for my lover, but he did not come. So here's what's going on. She's in the place that she's always met with her beloved. She's in the place of intimacy, the place of encounter. The place of where for all this time she's always encountered her beloved. Where he'd be right there. She could touch him. She could feel him. She could smell him. And she could feel his caresses and know his presence. And it was glorious and beautiful. And she's yearning for her beloved. And in that yearning she reaches out. And he's not there. And her first response is, where's my beloved? Because here's the thing, church, we cry out for a move of God. And when God starts to move, our response is rarely, yay, God is moving. It's usually, hey, God, where did you go? Right? A move of God will always entail God moving. By definition, a move of God involves God moving. So if God was here in a move of God, he's not going to be there anymore. Now, here's what we know. God is always with us. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. So it's not that he's not with us. It's that he's revealing another aspect of himself to us so that we can know and move in something we've always had but haven't been aware of. Does that make sense? So here, this is what's going on right here. The beloved is standing outside the window saying, baby, I know you're in there. I know that's where we've always been, but I know the cry of your heart is for the fullness of me. So we've entered a new season. It's a new opportunity, baby. Come on, arise and come away. But what she's saying is, he's not where he used to be. Why has he left me? I haven't left you, baby. I'm Oh, thank you. Now we're laughing about it, and we should, because it's always good to laugh. Laughter is very healing. No guilt, no condemnation, but pointing the finger at me, I've been there. 
Oh, Lord, where are you? Where's my healing? I can't do anything that I want. I can't even get out of bed day after day, month after month, year after year. God, where are you? Your word says that I am healed by your stripes. Where are you? Son, I've never left you and I never will. I just know the cry of your heart. I need you to get up out of self-pity. I need you to get up out of fear. And I need you to come and take my extended hand because I would never leave you. But I want you to have everything your heart is crying out for. And I've allowed these difficult circumstances because I love you. Because they're bringing up things in you that have gotten in your own way. Now, reach out for my grace. I'm going to help you up from there. Arise and come away. I know what it's like. I'm not making fun of anybody. I'm not condemning anybody. I'm just trying to give you a picture so you realize, wow, this has actually been a really exciting season, even though it's really kind of stunk. So this is what the Shulamite woman is going through right now. She's yearning for her beloved, and yet it seems like he's not there. She's got a huge decision to make. Am I going to give in to fear? Am I going to give in to doubt? Am I going to give in to self-pity? Or am I going to remember that he loves me? and that we're made for one another. And praise God, she chooses the latter, and here's what happens. So I said to myself, I will get up now and roam the city, searching for him. It's all its streets and squares. This is beautiful. She hasn't realized where he is yet. She's just realized that even though he's not here, they're still together. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to arise. I'm going to go out and I'm going to search for him because I know he's mine. I'm going to search for him because I know he hasn't left me. I know I am his and he is mine. So I'm not giving in to fear and self-pity and those lies of, oh, he's left me. Oh, he's found somebody else. Oh, he doesn't care about me. I'm going to go find him. And see, when we know God will never leave us nor forsake us, what this looks like for us is these circumstances feel like you're not here. You don't care about me. They're really hard. They're really difficult. I've been standing. I've been believing. And nothing seems to be happening. But I know you're with me. So I'm going to search for you in this. I'm going to arise out of self-pity. I'm going to arise out of fear and doubt. And God, I'm going to look for you in this because the cloud has moved. I don't know where yet, but I'm going to find it. And she does this, and she goes out searching for him. But my search was in vain at first. Anybody been there? My prayers are in vain. I remember saying to my accountability team, after about six years of battling and getting worse and worse and worse, I don't know what else to pray. I don't know what else to declare. I don't know what else to do. I'm not in a good place. I'm scared, and I'm tired, and I'm weary, and nothing seems to be working, and I'm a little frustrated, and I'm really giving into self-pity right now, and I know I shouldn't, but I don't know how to let go of it. I'm not going to stay here. I want you to know about it, but I don't know what to do. And by God's grace, I never stayed there. And by the prayers of wonderful friends who didn't preach at me, who didn't lecture me, who just said, we love you and we'll be praying for you. And that's what we got to do for each other. That's what Holy Spirit does for us. We just got to be willing, even when the search seems to be in vain, to remember he's not left us. He's not forsaken us. We're not going to pretend all this is all fun. Because I'll tell you what, the last eight years haven't been fun, but they have been glorious. Glorious.
truly glorious. I wouldn't wish it on anybody. I wouldn't trade it for anything. I know God more. I love God more. I trust God more. And I have found a way to rest in the deep, incredible, rich mysteries of God. And then sometimes I lose that place and I'm like, but then I just take dominion authority over that and say no. And that's all what part of the process is. She's going through it. So she chooses. And at first the search is in vain, but she doesn't give up. And what happens? They connect. And for the next several chapters, this incredible romantic story of them discovering each other in greater depths. And there's such an intimacy and such a romance and even a sensuality to it. It's just like, oh, God, you were so romantic. I want to know the fullness of what we share together. And she goes on this journey with him, and it's so incredible that at the end of Song of Solomon in chapter 8, there's this incredible scripture Song of Solomon 8.5, where it says the daughters of Zion, now remember, they were the Shulamite woman's peers. They'd known each other basically all their lives. And they look out and they say, who is this coming up out of the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? She has been so transformed by this journey, by this process. She's been so transformed by leaning into her beloved again and again and again in the wilderness season. Leaning into knowing he's there. Leaning into knowing his love. Leaning in to him and the truth of their love and romance no matter what. That she's been so transformed by this that the people who have known her all her life are looking out going, who is this? We don't recognize her. Who is this glorious woman coming up out of the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? That's what all this is unto, guys. All this is unto us learning to lean into our beloved again and again and again. Because as we do, we discover afresh richer, fuller, deeper, who he is, what he's like, what we have, and honestly, what in us had been getting in our own way. I'll tell you something really humbling. The Lord spoke to me a year ago, January. I was uh, away at a clinic for four weeks, four weeks, six days a week, eight to 10 hours a day, getting really intensive inpatient therapy. And I would be hooked up to IVs and getting shots and they'd pump me full of all this stuff, and then they'd put me in these machines. Um, You guys know what a hyperbaric chamber is? Um, It's this, like, oxygen thing that's super, they have super rich oxygen, and then they, um, I'm not very good at science, but it's like pressure, PSI, is really intense so that the oxygen goes into your blood and all the stuff they pumped into you then works like a hundred times better. So I'd be in this hyperbaric chamber for like two or three hours a day, and it's not very big, so you're just kind of laying in there. And you got two or three hours and nothing. So after the first day, and I was really sick and really weak, and I kind of slept the first day, and then the second day I couldn't fall asleep, so I thought, okay, got a lot of time. I guess I'll pray. So I started talking to the Lord, and I don't know what it is. I don't know if he likes oxygen-rich environments or what, but I have rarely experienced the presence of God like I would in that hyperbaric chamber every single day. And I was like, wow, God, this is incredible. In the first few days, I just was like, whoa. It was just awesome. And then it was like, okay, we're right here. I mean, let's chat. 
So I would talk to him, and one of the things I asked him was just, I, I, was, I, was, I was pretty broken at the time, I mean, in a good way. I was just very, I'd been humbled by all this. And I just told the Lord, just broken, honest, real, and raw with God. I'd say, God, I don't understand any of this. I believe your word. I'm standing on your word. Why aren't I seeing more of the fullness? And he spoke to me, and he said, whenever you're not experiencing the fullness I am not the problem. It wasn't mean. It wasn't accusative. It was really honest, and it was a really good answer. And in that moment, I realized, so Lord, there's me, and there's you. If you're not the issue, that leaves me. And then he said, my church blames the devil and me way too much. And you won't truly see dominion authority in the earth until you start taking dominion responsibility in your life. So what I said to him was, okay, Lord, teach me. And the prayer that came out of me was, show me the little foxes that have been spoiling my vine. And he did. And it was incredibly humbling, but it was immensely empowering. And for 15 months now, I guess it's been, 16 months, I've been on this journey with him. And what I want you to remember is God does convict and God does correct, but God does not condemn. God, God does not traffic in guilt and shame. I have been on a gloriously humbling but incredibly empowering journey with God for the last 16 months. And there has been correction, there has been alignment, but there has not been an ounce of condemnation. So do not hear an ounce of condemnation in any of this. And if your heart gets stirred and say, Lord, I want to know where I've been getting in my own way. I want to be a mature son. I want to step into this stuff too. I want to know my little foxes. If there's any condemnation that comes with it, that's not your father's voice. Because not once does the beloved say to her, if you don't get up, I'm gone. And I'm really sick of waiting for you. How could you doubt me? Whoa. It's just, I'm right here, baby. I'll wait all day. I'll wait all night. I'll wait forever because I'll never leave you. I'm just trying to draw you out here with my love. So please, get up. Arise. Arise out of where you've been. Arise out of what you've known and come away because there's so much more. And that's what he's doing for us right now. It's all wooing. It's all romance. It's all love. It's all unto life. It's all unto encouragement. He is answering the prayers that we have been crying out for. He's just doing what he tends to do. He's answering in a way we weren't looking for because his way is always better than our way. And the first thing we have to do is die to ourselves. And that doesn't mean, oh, I'm a low-down, dirty worm with no worth. No, 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 no. It means, oh, God, I love you and I trust you. And I'm going to put my fear and doubt aside. This is what it really means. It means we got to start feeling what we're feeling and thinking about what we're thinking about and start tearing down every vain imagination that would exalt itself above the truth in Christ Jesus. And remember that our weapons are not carnal, but they are mighty in him for the pulling down of strongholds. And what he's doing right now is he's showing us where there's been some strongholds in our lives. And because they've been in our lives, they've been in our regions. And we can't have authority over the things in our region until we've had authority over them in our lives. We can't cast them out of our region until we cast them out of us. But the good news is, all it takes is a little revelation 
and his grace for a little humility and say, oh gosh, Lord, I see that in myself. I am so sorry. Thank you for pointing that out. I cover it with the blood of Jesus. I repent. I come out of agreement with it and I say it no longer has place in me. And if by chance it comes back, you know what you do? You do it again because you've come to understand that's not me. That's not my portion. So I'm not giving it place anymore. And it's incredibly empowering. And the devil will want to beat you up and say, ah, it's back today. See, that didn't work. But we tear down that vain imagination. We tear down that lie. And we say, the blood always works. It was taken care of at the cross. I'm just getting to legislate it. You know why? Because my father loves me and he's training my hands to war. You know why? Because my father loves me and he is teaching me to bend the bow of bronze. You know why? Because my father believes in me and he's taken me from a victim to a victor. And I am learning to walk in it. And I'm seeing it in my life. I'm seeing it in my thoughts. I'm seeing it in my heart. I'm seeing it in my soul. I'm seeing it in my body. And I'm going to see it in my region. Because the Lord my God loves me. He is with me. And greater is he that is in me than he that is in the word. And I am grateful that I get to slay the lion and slay the bear. Because I am made to tear down giants. That's what's going on right now. We just got to arise and come away from where we've been. And I'm just going to tell, I don't know where you've been, but I'm going to be honest and open and vulnerable. Where I was, was wallowing in self-pity. I didn't think it was fair that after all I'd done for God, all I'd given God, that I was just getting sicker and sicker and sicker. I was frustrated, I was mad, and I was given over to self-pity. And he loved me enough to point it out to me. And he loved me enough to give me the grace to look at it and go, And the the most humbling part was, years ago, he had pointed out self-pity to me, and I'd had a glorious victory over it. And it was incredibly humbling to realize how much I'd given back into it and how much I had rationalized and justified. I'll, I'll give you a quick story. One day I got up, and some days I could get up, some days I couldn't. And I had enough energy, I went and took a shower, but it was one of those days I had to sit down like halfway through the shower in the shower. And I got up, and when I could get up, I have a chair that I like to sit and pray in. And I usually put on a, the kettle to make a pot of tea. And I go outside my, my little house. I have a little backyard, and I go outside, and I fill the bird feeders. And, um, and I came back in, and I barely made it back in. I, like, collapsed in my chair. I couldn't even get over to the kitchen for the, 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 the kettle had boiled to make tea. And I just started whining. Oh, God. I could barely get out of bed. Oh God, I could barely, barely hear the pictures. Oh God, I can't even go and make myself a pot of tea. Oh God, it's just not fair. All I want to do is express the kingdom into the earth through my life, and I can't even travel and minister anymore. Oh God, poor me. I, I have thrown a fair number of pity parties in my life. I've invited God to all of them. He shows up, but he never enters in. (laughs) So Holy Spirit came to this pity party. But he didn't say, oh, son, I know it's so hard. I'm so sorry you have it so rough. He said, hey, what did you just do? Oh, I went outside and barely filled the bird feeders. And barely made it back inside and barely got to this chair. Open your Bible to Matthew 6. 
So I did, and we all know. We're talk, God talks about how much he loves the sparrows and he'll care for the sparrows and he takes care of the sparrows. He said, what did you just do? So I filled the bird feeders. And what's the majority of the birds in your yard? They're sparrows, Lord. <laughs> and in that moment, I realized, whoa, I just expressed the kingdom into, my, into, the, into the earth through my life. I was just an expression of Matthew 6. I'm an expression of Matthew 6 to those sparrows every day that I'm home. Wow. And so then the Lord spoke to me and he said, what if the greatest call I have on your life, beyond the things you're believing for in the nations, what if the greatest call I have on your life is a Job call? What if the greatest call on your life is you're you're the one in the earth who I know will lean into my word and trust my truth no matter what the enemy sends against him? What if the greatest call on your life is to believe that I am the Lord who heals no matter what you do or don't see? And what if your faith, and son, I'm so proud of how you've walked through this, and all those decrees and all those declarations, what if the greatest call on your life is to break open the next great healing move of God, and you, even if you don't see it, and the next generation will, and it brings me glory, and it brings in the billion-soul harvest you've been believing for. What if that is the greatest call on your life? And I thought about it, and this is what I said to the Lord. Well, I don't like that. But if that's truly the call on my life, I'm gonna need a lot more grace I don't like it, but your will be done, not mine. And then I waited and I said, Lord, I have one more question. And I knew I could ask it. So I said, does that mean I won't, I, I won't be healed? And immediately he said, that's not what I said. And I realized in that moment the gift he gave me that helped break me out of self-pity. He changed my perspective. I was totally looking at me, saying, ah, I'm not getting to do what I want to do. I'm not getting to go where I want to go. My peers in ministry that I came up with, all their ministries are exploding. They're going all over the earth doing great things for God. And I am trapped at home in a sick body. Now, anybody who's listening with sickness, I'm not making fun of you at all. With all the love in my heart, I say, I understand. I know what it's like. But I also know for me, not you, for me, I was more beset by self-pity than I was by sickness. And God helped me see that, helped me change my perspective and realize this is not my portion and helped me understand that even if I didn't understand, I was never gonna enter his rest until I chose to believe that even in this situation, he was good. He wasn't saying, hey, accept your lot, accept sickness. No, never accept sickness, ever It's not from God, it's from Satan, and it's not our portion, and we will stand against it, and we will see it bow. If it doesn't bow how we want, when we want, that doesn't mean the word of God isn't true, and it doesn't mean he's not working. It means he's doing something bigger and greater than we understand. But here's the truth. In all things at all times, God is good, God is at work, and he's bringing about something that we may not be able to understand, but we can rest in his goodness and rejoice that we are having impact for the kingdom all to his glory. Amen? So that's what shifted for me. And I didn't start to get better for quite some time. 
But all of a sudden, and it didn't mean I never struggled with, oh, I feel lousy today. Oh, I can't do what I want to do today. What it meant was the stronghold of my perspective of self got shattered by his grace. So in all things at all times, I had a greater grace to catch myself in it and not beat myself up, not give in to guilt, not give in to condemnation, but step into his peace and his rest and say, Lord, I don't like what's going on, but I sure love you. I don't understand what's going on, but I sure understand you. And I declare that you are good even in this. And I thank you that in part of that goodness, you are giving me grace to get through this day that's challenging for me. And I'm going to glorify you in it all the way. That's the shift. And then months later, I started to see a shift in here because there was a shift here and a shift here. So now there's beginning a shift here. God's promise to me eight years ago when I started this battle and sought him diligently, passionately, Lord, because one of the things I've learned is, God, what is your promise to me in this season? Give me a word to stand on. And the word of the Lord to me was, there will be no sickness in your midst. And oh, I prayed that. I declared that. And it seemed like it was never coming to pass. But what I discovered over time is that that is the promise, and I am standing on it. And it's not just no sickness in this midst that I'm contending for. I'm contending for no sickness in this midst. And I didn't realize how big a battle I had said yes to. And God, in his love, helped open my eyes to see that, oh my gosh, I am being blessed with a battle, not just to tear down a lion or a bear, but I get to tear down a giant. I don't know how, I don't know when, but I know who. And I'm going to be like David, by God's grace and all to his glory, not mine, and run at that giant again and again and again, in here and out there, saying, who are you, you uncircumcised Philistine, to come against the army of the living God? You are about to get your head literally handed to you by my God and the sword of his word that's coming out of my mouth to chop your head off. That thing that you thought was going to destroy me, I'm going to knock out of your stupid giant hand by the power of my God and cut your ugly head off because you're not only not touching me, you're not touching any of my brothers and sisters and you're not touching the lost because when I break you off of them, they're going to know that Jesus Christ is Lord, God, Savior, Healer, King, and Friend. Now there's days I have enough strength to say it with that kind of vigor. And sometimes there's days I don't. But the glory to God is now that's established in my heart. And I want to tell you, you are in the midst of your shift and you may not even know it. We have shifted into a season of suddenlies and there are suddenlies coming forth. There are breakthroughs that are starting to happen and in them we are not only seeing the promises that we've been contending for but we're seeing promises that we stopped contending for because we'd given up on them but God hasn't and we're seeing promises come forth that we didn't even know we were contending for. One quick last story that is very personal, but I think, it, I think it is a great witness of the truth of what I just said. So you heard me say that now I've entered into this season of suddenlies that we've all, as the body, have entered into, and I'm starting to see suddenly shifts in my health and in my strength. And I know you're saying, well, you seem out of it today. This is the head cold I'm overcoming. It's nothing compared to the other stuff. But God is so incredible that if he had healed me 
The first time I declared it, one, I wouldn't have learned all the things I've learned. I wouldn't be as close to him as I am. I wouldn't have had the opportunity to, to mature some as I have. It's all been brilliant. It's all been worth it. Just like Joseph, yeah, I went to the pit and I went to the prison, but oh, I'm on my way to the palace. And I'm a better man, a better son, a better believer for it, and I'm grateful. But there's promises that are coming forth I didn't even know I was contending for. Like one, I started working with a new doctor a year ago. She's amazing. She has had more impact and discovered things that nobody else all around the world had discovered. I've had more breakthrough in the natural realm through her But the other really amazing thing is we had no idea, but in that process, I was in her office once a week getting IVs and would be in there for 20 to 40 minutes every time, and we'd sit and talk and visit. We became really good friends, and over time, we fell in love, and in July, we're getting married. I had no idea I was believing for a wife, and I was contending for a wife. But if he healed me anywhere along the way, if he had met, I need to say that differently. He healed me at the cross. I worded that horribly. If he had brought forth the full manifestation of the healing that he did give me at the cross, anywhere sooner, I never would have met my wife. Now you can say, oh, that's just a payoff because of what you suffered. No, it's not. It's just God's doing exactly what he told me, no sickness in my midst. I just didn't realize I was going to come out of it with the plunder of Egypt as well. And I'm telling you that testimony to release it into the atmosphere that you're not only going to see the promises that you've been believing for, but you're going to see the promises that you have given up on because God hasn't, and you're going to see blessings that you didn't even know he was bringing about. Because that's who our God is, and that's what our God does. So in Jesus' name, I declare over you great grace. I declare over you great grace to let go of doubt and fear and frustration. I release to you great grace to let go of disappointment. I let go, of you, let go to you great grace to know, to see, and to trust in the goodness of God, in all things at all times. I release to you the great grace to trust God again, to believe God again. I release to you great grace for fresh zeal, fresh wind, fresh fire, fresh oil, fresh passion, fresh grit, fresh determination. I release to you great grace for fresh hope and fresh love. I release to you the great grace to arise and come away from everywhere the enemy has beset you. To arise and come away into all that God is moving you into and bringing you into. I release to you great grace for the winds of heaven from the north, the south, the east, and the west to be released into your life and billow the sails of your faith of your peace, of your joy, of your love, so that you can once again begin moving easily with God. I released you great grace to know the blessings of Job, to know the double blessing, the double portion. I released you great grace to feel the friendship of God over your tent, over your household, over your life once again. 
It's not that it left. It's that we stopped feeling it. So I released you great grace to feel the friendship of God over your household again. And in that revelation of his friendship, of his love, of his goodness, of his trustworthiness, of his wonderfulness, that you will feel your feet bathed in butter, that the thick, rich cream of the revelation of his goodness in all things will come and make the way easy where it's been hard, lubricated where it's been dry, smooth where it's been rough, and that you will know that the oil is pouring forth from the rock from Jesus Christ, from the wounds in his hands, the wound in his side, the wounds in his feet that he took on your behalf, that you would know that you are loved perfectly, eternally, certainly. And in the revelation of that love, you would feel the anointing. You would feel the presence. You would know the smearing of the Holy Spirit. And in that, the ability to overcome self, to get out of our own way, And to step in and wield the weapons of God that are not carnal, but are mighty in Him. That you would have the grace to remember that you abide in Him and He abides in you. And the mighty weapons to pull down the strongholds of the enemy would be found in your hands, in your heart, in your mouth. And that you would release the Word of God knowing that it will not return void, but it will accomplish all that it was sent to do. And the people, including you, shall live in peace and joy again. And where it seemed dry, it will become lush. And where there were brambles and thistles and thorns, you will know the budding of the cedar trees. That you will see it is a new season. That the winter is over. That you would hear the call of His voice, the song of His heart, saying to you, promising you, I know this season has been difficult, but it's over And it was unto something. Now arise out of that place and come away with me because I am bringing you into everything that we have promised, that we have dreamed about. I am bringing you into all that you have been crying out for. I am giving you the grace to weary not in doing good. In Jesus' name, amen. The last thing I want to say to you is this. For all of you who could relate to that message, to any of you who have wrestled, and to some of you who might even be thinking, man, I didn't even realize it. I really blew it. I want you to know God's perspective is this. Well done, good and faithful servants. Well done, Maturing sons, I love you. I am proud of you. And I am fully, fully pleased with you. I break off any condemnation. I break off all guilt and shame. And I declare over you that your heavenly Father loves you and is fully pleased with you. That's why he's entrusted you with this journey because you were one of his special ones that he knew he could trust with this. That he knew would not give up, would not give in. 
And just like when he stood before Lazarus' tomb and wept, he did not weep because Lazarus was in the tomb. He knew what was about to happen. He wept because he knew it had been a difficult season for Martha, Mary, and Lazarus as he answered the deeper cry of their heart to bring them into an even greater revelation and opportunity to know him in even a greater way. But he knew it had been a hard journey for them. He did it because he loved them. He did it because he knew it was the desire of their heart. But he wept because he knew it had been difficult. And he is not a hard-hearted God. He is a loving God who is always good. And I want you to know that every step of the way that's been difficult, he has been there with you weeping. Not because he was at a loss and did not know what to do, but because he knew it was hard for you. But he knew the cry of your heart even more. He knew you were one that had said, Oh God, more. Oh God, more. We want to see the fullness. He loves you. He's proud of you. And he says over you, Well done good and faithful servants. So those of you who are are willing to come back, (laughs) because as I've said to others, I know this is not the traditional rah-rah, happy, charismatic message, and I can come in here and I can rah-rah you because I'm about as enthusiastic as it gets when it comes to things of God. But I want to do more than puff you up. I want to build you up. And I know one of the ways to do that is to not ignore the difficult things we've been through, but to give perspective to what it's been, why it's been, and what it's unto. I don't make light of the difficulties anybody has faced, but I wanted to bring light to what's been going on so the devil can't lie to you anymore. The, 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 one of the things I want to do in the other session is I want to give you a tool And we'll also do some ministry to release and impart to you what God has given me. Jesus gave the disciples a tool, a gift, a revelation, a breakthrough that helps accelerate us through the transition times. And um, in the next session, I think that's what we'll lean into and what we'll talk about. So um, if you've been in this transition, if you felt this transition, and if you're tired of this transition, I'm telling you, the next session's really for you. God bless you.